Welcome to the Super Beast Podcast with Berg, Blake and Charlotte. This is our July episode coming to you from COVID-riddled Britain. Berg, Charlotte, how are you doing? All right. Yeah. Oh, really well. Yeah, we've managed to not be COVID-riddled just yet, but you never know. <laughs> Have you been out in the sun? We managed to make yeah. a beat yesterday, uh, but it was very, very windy at the beach. We had a lovely afternoon, but when I came back, I realised that I'd actually got like sand in my eyebrows because it was that windy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it was uh, it was good fun. <laughs> and someone had um, blown up a car outside our house. Yeah, yeah, we had a lovely burnt out Audi outside. What, what have you guys been up to recently? I've just been working from home, really, so it's kind of um, same same shit, different day, really. But um, yeah, it's been uh, been all right. Yeah, I've just been on summer holidays now. Like terms finished, so I've been doing lots of stuff in the garden, doing a few fixy jobs. What I've really enjoyed was like drafting out the storyline of my next novel. It's uh, really nice just just working on that and uh, getting my ideas down for each sort of chapter. And then um, kind of got a bit sick of the negativity in social media, so I joined Positive News. Also joined Amnesty International and Greenpeace to uh, try and do some nice stuff. How's how's book number one coming on? By the way. Or should I not oh, ask? Charlotte's, Charlotte's uh, passed her deadline again. I think part of the problem is that I do a lot of um, reading for a living. Um, and so mm. kind of like when I finish work, I don't always want to start on another batch. <laughs> I think that's been the problem. Yeah. But I, I've made a, a jingle for you if you'd like to hear it. Oh, yeah. Do I ever? Yeah, I mean, it's not my best work, but it's you know, it's, it's got a chilled vibe. Um, so I'll I'll play it for you now, and uh, you can tell me what you think. to uh to start sending that to people they're gonna shit themselves um do, have you done <laughs> yeah i've made a jingle like uh, uh so if you want to play it you kind of i tried running my ukulele through distortion so um things in your ears mm-hmm. okay all right let's have a listen we agreed that we should go for a short drive to see if i could drive safely and ended up on the outskirts of bond castle town one, one, Good. Who was that at the end? Uh, it, it was some Spanish guy. One of the, one of the funniest <laughs> things I saw off the dawn at Congress thing, I think someone had dubbed some Spanish guys like in a chat show laughing their heads off. And now uh, oh, right. like, Dominic Cummings is supposed to be this really intelligent guy, but he came up, all he could come up with is he was getting his eyes tested. He had a whole weekend to come up with an excuse, and that's all he could think of. 
And then the other guy sort of saying, he already looked intelligent because he sat next to that uh, doofus like Boris Johnson. Do you want to play a song now before we get into a little bit of news? Yeah, yeah. So um, there's this Belgian band called Lavender Witch. They are like a female uh, rock group, very feminist in their outlook and their themes. The the guitarists uh, called Nina or Zena, as she sometimes calls herself when she's making zines, is incredibly um, efficient at making lots of really interesting zines. And she's a great illustrator. So um, yeah, I kind of bought this album and got the zine, and it's it's much much better than I ever thought it it, it would be. It's it's class. So like the uh, yeah, you should. If you find yourself uh, with nothing to buy on any of these like band camp wafer these days, you could do a lot worse than getting the album Awakening by Lavender Witch, which this track is on. It's called Blood, 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 Blood. The album's full of very catchy, um, very interesting uh, songs dealing with some great themes, so yeah, do check it out. 
Yeah, I love any song that sort of opens with a kind of bass intro. Uh, I'm already hooked. So yeah, that was great. Some great guitar sounds. Should we? Uh, should we do a little bit of uh, news? The, the yeah, yeah let's try and not do as much news as last episode, but let's <laughs> talk about the much, much of the news that's been going on. Uh, yeah, it was some of the some of the things that were very interesting this month, sort of like uh, kept up with anything that's been going on in Portland, Oregon. Um, the kind of basically like Trump sent the the, the feds out, like uh, so there's been like sort of troops going in there and people who aren't from there that originally trying to defend sort of state buildings against these um, protesters uh, for Black Lives Matter. And basically, just going around the streets and just kidnapping people, like um, throwing them in unmarked cars, not reading their rights. Um, loads of people getting tear gassed, including a big line of mothers who were there to protect the protesters, including the mayor of Oregon himself, who got tear gassed when he went to show solidarity with them. And this whole situation continued for like three, well, I think about three rather chaotic weeks. And um, I think the, the feds have withdrawn now, but absolute like i don't know like in the in the run-up to an election i think tear gassing and attacking your own citizens like for kind of trying to protest like yeah. it's really scary as well them being thrown into like unmarked cars and stuff because it's because that's happening it's sort of raising other kind of safety concerns as well because like it, do you know like if somebody just did that anyway no one would know they'd think oh it's the feds I don't know, the whole thing's quite worrying, isn't it, that people can just be essentially kidnapped off the streets and, yeah, it not be clear where they're going or whether, you know, who's taking them or anything. It's it's quite frightening from a personal safety point of view. And what's effectively as well something that's originated from a, a police brutality incident to mm-hmm. just match it with, like, mass police brutality, it, I, I don't see how that's a vote winner, but... Um, so let's go to the UK. So, um, yeah, after we got to sell off the NHS, the, the big sort of news um, was the, the vote to kind of basically not to scrutinise any of the Brexit deals. So the NHS is on the table and that's, that's, it could, could see areas getting under foreign control. It's just kind of a degree of hypocrisy in the British government like, that's been kind of applauding it, that's done things like cancel student nurses, the permanent work contracts, and that they've blamed care home workers for COVID deaths, even though that the government were sending untested people into care homes and conflating the, the death toll there. And they've cancelled the free staff parking at the hospital, Sophie. I think um, key workers have now been given a pay rise, haven't they, by the, the Tories? Um, yeah. After after a decade of, of underfunding and and no and you know pay freeze, they have actually now had a small rise. Um, and it's quite funny to watch the government doing what what Jeremy Corbyn was uh, pushing for. So I, I don't think people should be working on minimum wage and um, you know. Um, especially like cleaners in hospitals and things because they put their, their lives at risk when they go into work every day and they do such a good job and it's just um, I, I just hate the thought of like NHS staff having to use food banks and things like that um, Okay so you've had Stephen Yaxley-Lennon aka Tommy Robinson who's moved to Spain he's moved to Spain because uh, he was getting targeted the house was getting targeted in the UK because of all the kind of vile hatred that is spilling out so uh, it's going to be patriotic British person living in Spain. They said it was safe for his children over there, so he's now an immigrant himself. There were headlines, uh, you know, obviously the Daily Mail was losing its uh, its head about um, <laughs> a sort of number of channel uh, crossings by uh, migrants uh, in the last week or two, wasn't it? Um, mm. You know, there's been more 
the, the numbers are just growing and growing, I suppose, in the build-up to Brexit. Uh, at the same time, we've had the highest number, um, I think, ever of people uh, emigrating to Spain from the UK. So, you know, swings and roundabouts. So, the uh, story I noticed as well, I'm not massively into snooker, but there, there, was, lot, there was plans to return lots of indoor um, sports back to action from the 1st of August that have been postponed because of, of these like new um, sort of second-wave uh, cases of covid um, and but they were due to put 300 people who weren't going to be wearing masks in um, in the crucible watching the, the snooker championship. And uh, Ronnie O'Sullivan described uh, described the snooker players as being like lab rats. Like if you're going to be in for the full like I don't know 18 or 20 or I, I don't know how many frames uh, with that many people all breathing the same or similar air, how ventilated it was. But they scrapped that, and uh, now I, I presume the snooker championships are taking place without anyone watching. Yeah, I walk past the crucible every day, and um, it's uh, yeah. There's all, all the signage is there, but there's literally no one around at all. Um, yeah, it, I suppose the government are given some guidance, haven't they? And then it's up to the establishments how they apply that. But from my experience of returning to pubs and things, the kind of the way the different pubs and restaurants are, are applying the guidance it varies massively, um, and it's quite interesting to see how seriously some places are taking it and, and how lax other places are. Tories were trying to do something about childhood, or, well, childhood obesity, um, like they're going to put calories on drinks and meals and people can see what they're getting, which is, you know, it's a good idea. So it's like he, he was having a chat with his mate that he bailed out of spoons. Um, but, you know, Someone's posted you could uh, return the donations from junk food corporations, reverse your policy of selling playing fields to your property pals, reopen the 763 youth centres that were axed, and reopen the 1,100 sure stats that were shut down during um, Tory tenure. So all these things were taken away 10 years ago and or within the last 10 years. And, yeah, I like counting the calories. It's, it seems a good strategy. And he's, he's been jogging around with his dog and, uh, you know, doing what he does best, looking ruffled. Um, but... Yeah, again, not not very main, meaningful things um, to kind of solve those issues. And that's me with 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 the news. I've got a couple of funny stories I might leave till later. But have you guys got any? Yeah, sort of education wise, like um, working at the union stuff. Like, there's been a few bits and pieces that have sort of come in recently. So it looks like all of our undergraduate students are expected to come back as normal in September. Um, but some of the postgraduate students have been offered different start dates depending on what courses they're doing. So um, it does look like it's going to be business as usual from uh, the end of September at the minute, which is a bit scary. But um, I don't think I'm going to be actually physically back at work anytime soon. But, um, yeah, the, the students are going to be back on campus. It'll be a big second wave with the, with the schools back and the students back. And there's already some suggestion that they might have to close pubs or other things to accommodate this. Mm. And with the guidance of young people being better at transmitting the virus, mm -hmm. uh, uh, ironically that uh, Trump got uh, one of his accounts shut down on Twitter for basically saying the opposite, saying that, that young people are spreading the immune and Twitter said you can't be putting out this misinformation really, when, especially when mm. two independent studies are saying the exact opposite. Under 10s, apparently, they carry a higher viral load. And, I mean, anybody that has spent a lot of time around children will know that, like, <laughs> kid germs are, like, the worst germs. And it's, it's because they actually do carry a higher viral load because of the way that their immune system works. 
Um, so, like, mm. those snotty noses are actually a bit more sinister than you'd think. <laughs> Anyone who's a parent of, of young kids knows of the constant illnesses that they bring home and infect the whole family with from school. Obviously, the, the big explosion in uh, Beirut uh, this week, then the customs uh, and excise people have been storing uh, lots of fertilizer and lots of fireworks, apparently. Um, that the authorities were aware of, and obviously it exploded and damaged kind of half of the city and killed a thousand people and, and rising. Um, that was insane. Really scary, isn't it? About six years yeah. they've, had, they've known about this and they've just not done anything. So it's, I don't know, it's just, yeah, just treating people like Baltimore, really. And, and not to rub a neck a tragedy, but, um, you know, did you see any of the exp- uh, videos of the explosion? Because it was yeah. quite something to behold. Very fine, because, I mean, it was a big fire and smoke and stuff to start with. And then when the explosion, like the big explosion happened, it was just mm. crazy. Uh, but, yeah, I just I feel like they've been through enough in Beirut. You know what I mean? They don't need this crap. One of my friends was in um, Beirut earlier in the year, and he said that the hotel that he stayed in no longer exists um, after this. So the the next thing I had was um, the the New York Attorney General is um, suing the NRA, the National Rifle Association, um, and seeking their closure, um, citing fraud and corruption, which. Uh, it's fantastic. I hope that she gets some traction there because that would be great. Yeah, definitely. I did read about that, actually. Um, they're so corrupt. And I think it's the reason why America can't change the gun laws very easily because yeah. those guys are always involved. And, um, yeah, they're, they're so, they've got fingers in a lot of pies, haven't they? <laughs> it's, a, it's a huge, corrupt, money-making machine um, that pr- profits off um, yeah, ma- making uh murder weapons available to to the general public so uh yeah it's it's fucked up and it needs to go away uh so some good news in france um a hydrogen powered train was approved uh last month so there's i think there's about 5000 diesel trains in europe at the moment and if we, if we can convert them to hydrogen powered um their only exhaust you know the the exhaust output from the trains is just a, a little bit so, sort of droplets of water um, so that could be quite revolutionary. Is it stable, the technology? Because my understanding of hydrogen is that, like, it, you know, it's got that potential to revolutionise transport and, you know, energy needs, but, like, how stable is it? I think it must be pretty safe. Uh, I mean, they, they've pushed the approval through. Um, I, you know, trains are less crashy than some other forms of transport. So, you know, a company called Loop um, launched uh, back in July here in the UK. They were already established in France and in the US, and they're an online shopping uh, provider. So they do food and groceries and household essentials, um, but it's all supplied in reusable packaging that's taken away and then reused, which is um, something we talked about in the very first yeah. episode, isn't it? Yeah, that's, that's excellent. Common sense. Yeah. Things where everyone does the same thing and, and it works. I think. Uh, on the environment, Apple have pledged to be carbon neutral by 2030, um, like including its supply chain and shipping and all, all that kind of stuff. So that's, that's quite encouraging. Um, Microsoft have said that they're going to be carbon negative by 2030. So take, <laughs> taking carbon out of the air. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and by 2050, they expect or they claim or their aim is to have removed the same amount of carbon that they've ever added to the atmosphere, which is quite an impressive goal to set themselves, I would say. Definitely. Yeah. Um, um, yeah it's very ambitious as well. I'd be interested to see if they manage it. 
Yeah. Um, in the last episode, I, I kind of talked about how um, Kanye was running for president and how that, you know, that could be a dangerous thing because he could pull votes away from uh, Joe Biden and, and hand Trump the presidency. Um, after seeing his kind of uh, rally opening speech, um, where he talked about wanting to abort his uh, unborn daughter, um, and I think his quite obvious mental health issues, I, I think he's probably less of a, a problem, but actually just somebody who needs some help. Is he still running or is he like, because it struck me as massive mental health issues going on with him, like, but is he, is he still paying and running and all that? It, it's really not clear. I, I'm not sure whether anyone's been able to get a handle on that. Yeah, I don't think he's been. I, I it's safe to be running for it, is he, at the moment? It's not going to do him any good at all. Um, in the last month, something that I've kind of done, kind of accidentally, but also deliberately, is change my news sources, taking my news from Euronews, if you know that um, network, um, and also Al Jazeera and stuff, and just kind of getting a different, less UK-centric view of the world with yeah. Euro news in particular it's just really good to hear what's going on in other countries and you know without it all being about the uk um and it's interesting hearing different literally different voices different accents um yeah. you know and a di different point of view and it reminds me of in the mid 90s watching mtv with all those european presenters and just thinking <laughs> god has it really been 25 years since i've heard like accent, you know, other accents, European accents on the TV. Well, sounds good. I've done similar in the past. I love listening to World Service is where I get most of my uh, radio news. But my um, my my email account is quite international. It said, "Do you want a UK centric one?" I was like, "No, I'm enjoying the global perspective." Um, do you want yeah, some funny yeah. stories? Yes. Right. Okay. So uh, here's a really good one from Austria and Vienna. So um, <laughs> a man has been fined for farting in the direction of police officers. Um, uh, this was during the, the COVID outbreak, so I think it's, they were concerned about spreading germs. And yeah, they were quick to clarify it wasn't just a windbreakage of the casual accidental side, but to uh, the Guardian's translation, a massive intestinal wind, apparently with full intent. So there you go, don't fart on the Austrian police. <laughs> I've got a funny one, actually. Um, <laughs> I mean, you, you, to get the sort of the full thing, it's probably better to Google it and see the pictures. But um, in um, in Germany, they have um, like um, a culture called um, I think it's free corporate culture or Freud corporate culture. I'm not sure. I've probably pronounced it wrong, but it means like free body culture. So it means there's like um, people go and sunbathe in parks, like completely stark naked or on the beach mm. or whatever, and no one sort of bats an eyelid really. Um, so there's a guy that was um, sunbathing in a park. <laughs> with no clothes on, and um, he'd had a wild boar had gone up to him and stolen, um, he'd already stolen his pizza that he'd brought with him, but then it came back and got his carrier bag that he'd got with him, which he'd got his laptop in. So the guy, like, took off across the park with no clothes on after this wild boar and her two piglets. And the uh, the pictures from it are absolutely hilarious, so I definitely think it's it's worth a Google of that. So. Yeah, there's this uh, slightly portly gentleman <laughs> charging through the park <laughs> with no problem. <laughs> but yeah, very funny. <laughs> but apparently he liked wow. the pictures so much he said it was okay to make in public. <laughs> he thought they were <laughs> Should we do some, uh, some of the old music news? Gorilla and the Deaf Institute uh, in Manchester have been set to close down like um, part of like, venues in the UK needing a load of uh, money to stay open when they, they can't actually open. But then, um, to his credit, the Tim Burgess from the Charlatans, he wore that awful jumper last time we saw the performer with currently <laughs> taking the piss out of him. Uh, he's a hero, <laughs> like, well, what he likes. He's, he stepped in really and thought he'd be saved uh, Gorilla and the Deaf Institute like, venues of Manchester. Venues are struggling 2.25 million off of one point. 
1.57 billion the UK Arts and Cultural Industries have been awarded has gone to like grassroots venues, but it's, it's not close to the 50 million that they say they'll need. So I, I just hope not too much of that cultural um, money goes to like just really posh like theatres. I appreciate they do need the money and they do need to survive, but I really like grassroots music and yeah. The Menstrual Cramps, who we played uh, a bit ago, they, they've had a bit of a band break, but the guitarist and the, the bass player have both sort of left. Uh, it seems fairly amicable, but if you are Bristol-based and you want to play in a female uh, punk band, then you could do a lot worse than contacting the Menstrual Cramps and, uh, and try to offer your services to them. August the 1st was supposed to be the return to live indoor music, and they did some like pilot shows to see how well that would work. Frank Turner and Beans on Toast did this like socially distant set. The music venues trust sort of said afterwards like it was a complete failure because I mean people were getting served at the tables, it was all spread out. But we said that no promoter could work for that sort of uh, you know level of people in the venue and still make a profit, like you know, for everyone involved. So uh, it's kind of back to the drawing board and, and they've put off the government put off that that August the first gigs to restart inside. So being a little bit more conservative and a bit more cautious than their previous cavalier attitude, everything could happen like week after week without testing the last thing. So Pete Green of Fleetwood Mac, he died on the 25th of July, he was 73. Sad. Um, Denise Johnson, Primal Scream, um, sort of backing singer, very famous for like Screamadelica. A lot of the vocals in that and singing with New Order. She died age 56 and uh, yeah, she had a solo album planned for September. The Spotify CEO made a few waves when he was um, basically sort of come out and said um, that the model for making an album like every sort of three, four years is broken and like artists need to do something more regularly to engage their, their sort of their listeners. Um, and yeah, you know, he's partially right, like in terms of music, I think. Um, you know, you need to do things quite like regularly to engage people, but at the same time, like, Stuart Lee had quite an interesting comment on it saying it's ridiculous, it's like a furious customer punching a prostitute in the face because he's sickened by his own desire. Like, <laughs> by uh, if you the statistics, artists get paid paid 0.0028 pence per stream, so you'd need to have 357 streams to earn a pound on spot. Anybody that's an artist, um, if people get the work they deserve to get paid properly for it but I do think there's so many people that have got used to getting stuff for free that the, you know they don't always see the value of things if you can just get it off like I'm not going to name websites but you know you can get get music for free. Uh, Bandcamp have waived their, their fee these every first Friday of the month they're doing that till Christmas now because it's been so popular so not that's right for a counter advert in because I know they're consolidating their sort of position as standard uh, I think Band camp doing that, but they're providing a good service, and the artists are making a lot more from it. So I'd consider um, getting involved in buying from Bandcamp if you like that. Yeah. Um, there's an interesting one I wanted to mention: Danish music. All Danish music has been pulled from YouTube in a union dispute. Presumably, they, they feel that the Danish artists should be getting paid more, so YouTube have got rid of all Danish content. Content. Um, our last split was released with a Danish artist, so like really kind of sad to see all their music go off YouTube even if it's just temporary during the dispute but um, quite interesting that the, the union and the YouTube having a bit of a bit of a scrap um, one of the story worth mentioning um, Freddie Budpucker is releasing his new album on the 20th of August and uh, yeah he's an incredible artist so um, you should check that out you got any music news Blake? Uh, I do have a little bit yeah um, 
So Bill Callahan, who I'm sure I will have mentioned in the past, uh, one of my favourite artists, he's um, dribbling out some new tracks from his new album that's coming out in September, um, kind of releasing a, a track a week on Spotify, um, which is, is good because the, the music sounds a lot better than his previous album last year, which I didn't really care for at all. Um, but, but, but releasing the tracks one by one and, and kind of one, one week at a time sort of reminded me just how much I kind of love the excitement of getting a new album and playing it all in one go and hearing it, you know, all together as a chunk. I know artists have always done this with singles and things, um, but but there's now sort of six tracks from a 10-track album that I can listen to, but I can't listen to the rest, and I, I just want it as a big kind of indigestible chunk um, so that pixel kind of, you know, parts jump out at you at different times, and the more you listen to it, different parts reveal themselves. And I, I don't know, I just I find the kind of dribble uh, not not very uh, rewarding. But um, th- that said, his new album is sounding good so far. So, uh, yeah, Bill Callahan, I think it's called Gold Record and coming out next month. Jarvis Cocker's new album is out, uh, Beyond the Pale. I've got the vinyl in my hand right now, and it's very uh, attractive. Uh, it's the best thing he's done since. Since Pulp, I think it's fair to say uh, he's had some really good singles actually, but his albums have been a bit kind of hit and miss. Uh, but this is this is brilliant. Um, it's, yeah, uh, I would recommend it to anyone who used to enjoy listening to Pulp. There's some killer killer lyrics in there as well that'll uh, make you laugh out loud, um, which is something I really appreciate. So yeah, Jarvis Cocker doing some good work then. Did he? Um, uh, really random, but I just um, I've just read an article by um, Jarvis Cocker um, about um, caves, actually, like caves and music, um, and it was yeah. uh, interesting. But he was saying he'd done some recording in a cave near Sheffield, and were any of the tracks on that album? Did it say anything about <laughs> about them being recorded? Yeah, so so actually, I, I, he played at uh, the Devil's Ass um, Cave. Um, in just in Derbyshire, just outside uh, Castleton, um, yeah. near Chef, uh, and I saw him there. And I, I think actually, I think the sort of lead single from this album, you can hear a bit of crowd noise at the end. Um, and I think that recording, but I think yeah, I think various parts of the tracks were recorded in different caves around the country. Um, but yeah, he's um, he's guest editing um, yeah. Big Issue. He's editing the Bishop Big Issue, um, this, and he's he's listing his um, kind of heroes of lockdown. Um, sort of artists and, um, and musicians and people like that. So yeah, be, I'll definitely get your hands on a copy of that if you if you're interested in him or just in art in general. Uh, last little bit of music news is Jason Molina, who uh, tragically died in 2012 from alcoholism. Uh, some uh, posthumous album has been released called Eight Gates that he recorded, I think, when he was staying in London. Um, it's kind of quite rough and sketchy, but it's really exciting to have some new tracks by one of my favourite artists uh, that's that's not here anymore um, right I'm, I'm going to play a song um, so it's uh, I discovered this band um, during lockdown uh, they're called Waxahachie um, it seems to mostly just be one woman who's a really really good singer um, this their her album that came out this year is definitely going to be in my top 10 albums of the year I would say the song is called Fire she's got a really good voice uh, and the whole album's got a nice relaxing kind of summery vibe um, so if you just want to be out in the sun kind of enjoying yourself uh, this is a really, really good album for that um, so I'm going to play uh, the song Fire now
I think we were going to have a bit of a chat about what happens next after lockdown and after COVID, uh, assuming that we can, you know, the governments and the world as a whole gets a handle on it and we can move on from this like what what are the changes sort of positive and negative that will take forward with us into the world and uh yeah i, I think uh, it's going to be a different a different place isn't it for all those lovers of normality this is going to cause some conflict i think we're already seeing a lot of people that like got a bit um juvenile about not wanting to wear masks in shops and um yeah first thing that, that comes to mind is, is a lot of people are in denial of, but I think the situation has been somewhat exacerbated by the fact that we've had large-scale testing, so uh, it's been possible for certain people to 
kind of bury the head in the sand and just kind of say um, there's not been that many deaths, therefore why are we acting all different and not not having the perhaps the logical faculties to sort of say that if we hadn't made these interventions, then transmission rate could have been many, many times higher than what it is. I've found it quite worrying with um, a lot of the stuff that I've seen on social media as well, like just the, the misinformation as well. And I feel like I don't know how we're going to get back to any sort of standard of normality and being when people are just blatantly not following the sort of best practice but in some ways i can see why people aren't following it because nothing seems to actually make much sense it's kind of like with us being on a lockdown and we can't go and visit other other people in the house or garden but we could go to a pub and like accidentally um bump into bump into someone at the pub and no one would do that well yeah we do accidentally bump into people in the pub but like um we don't make a point of like arranging to meet up with them i didn't realize that 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 was the way it was working. I, I assumed that when they put kind of uh, Greater Manchester and you guys and stuff back into lockdown, that the businesses would close as well. So it's oh, just like a house thing, is it? Yeah. Well, I mean, apparently, if the place has got a card reader, it makes you immune to catching COVID. <laughs> well, we, we really didn't know because they announced this stuff uh, like via Twitter at half nine at mm-hmm. night. Um, and I don't know, apparently, they talked to like Andy Burnham of Manchester about it and there'd been some consultation with like Bradford, like. Um, sort of members of council but the person from Calderdale was like it was a complete shock to us they hadn't spoken to mm-hmm. us about it and they couldn't do anything about it for the first hour because like they couldn't go out of their systems and it's like yeah it, it just really bad. we didn't know if it was going to yeah. be that pubs were going to close again it's like, logically it would but mm-hmm. it's this balance of the economy uh, you know and collective people's like you know mm-hmm. who sacrifice and it seems to me like either it's been woefully inadequately kind of regulated in terms of we just seem to sacrifice the most weak and vulnerable or to think slightly more cynically about it they've reduced their care bill further on by getting rid of the most weak and vulnerable in the first wave and um yeah it's hard hard to, to win people's trust back when the examples you set with people like dominic cummings like basically doing whatever he wants mm. and having different set boris's dad rooms. going to make his holiday <laughs> home like covid secure or whatever yeah. you call it it's i think you get these weird ways of being anti-things because they're difficult decisions to make. You know, like, for instance, France was going to ban all face coverings in public. Now they've made face coverings mandatory in public. It's like these mm. difficult decisions that are being made in the middle of a, a kind of, you know, global pandemic. Um, but they're not necessarily decisions that governments want to be making. But I think it's making a lot of people kind of question the logic behind a lot of it. Interestingly, and perhaps sort of... Con- semi-contradictory uh, on my list of, of thoughts of, of how things might change I've got that experts are we're listening to experts again that we're trusting experts again um, politicians are listening uh, or, or sort of seem to be listening to scientists uh, and you know people who are experts in the field are kind of trusted you know obviously there's like Anthony Fauci in America and uh, people like that it, 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 that's something that we haven't really seen for for the last 20 years you know like the Iraq dodgy dossier and all, and all that kind of stuff. Experts have been sidelined and ignored for quite a long time, and it feels like that's perhaps changing a little bit. Um, but at the same time, whether anyone's acting on the, the advice that they give, I don't know. I think there's a certain amount of like um, people make it having like government scientists say certain things. It fits with um, what they think. Like uh, mm. one of my posting about Trump has appointed this. Um, she's a person of color who. She believes that um, demons can rape 
um, people like Incubi, you know, they can, they can be one of the reasons for mental health is that people from the spirit world are raping the um, people mm. in the real world. And if, if he's putting people on pedestals that are sort of got these sort of, uh, for want of a better way of putting them, because they're not really anything other than mad ideas, like, you know, kind of outdated ideas, but, you know, elevating people who've got like religious merit um, as well. And sometimes it's getting the right scientists to say the right thing. I mean, like, you climate change deniers, they've got scientists. And yeah, I just think there'll be, there's a politicized aspect to the, um, to the science that, that kind of worries me a little bit. There's obviously quite a lot of logistics. We're going to have to get a vaccine or a number of vaccines. And, and it's the logistics of making sure everyone gets this. And that's going to prove an enormous problem, I think. There's part of me that worries about this, that this vaccine has been so rushed. Mm. They're trying different ones, aren't they? Um, and I'm not sure that I'd be that brave about getting it done sort of in the first wave of people to get it done which I doubt I would be because I mean I'm not a key worker or anything like that and I feel like it's going to be kind of NHS staff and and key workers that are probably going to be expected to get the vaccine first or offered it first anyway but I'd be quite nervous about it because it's kind of like what about the side effects you know like um, is the kind of a recovery time after you've had it because I know even just with like a flu vaccine you can end up having like basically flu symptoms for a, a little while afterwards that can make you feel pretty shocking. And also as well, like I'd feel a little bit guilty if I took a vaccine because I feel like there's other people out there that would probably need it more, that would benefit from it more, you know, like health workers or elderly people or whatever. And um, if I was to get one ahead of someone else, I don't know if I'd, I, I'm not sure I'd feel all right about that. Positive things from from the whole sort of COVID thing. Um, there is, there some positives to be taken from it because I think like people's work-life balance will be better and hopefully it's something that um, like flexible working becomes more of a thing and that it's okay to maybe do like um, part of your week at home and then part of your week in the office or you know maybe only going to the office like a couple of times a month just to have meetings and things Um, but I don't know because I don't even feel the need to do that you know I've got an absolutely joyful meeting at nine o'clock on Monday morning that I'm really not looking forward to there's 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 a lot of stuff that kind of that links into that I think everybody's um work-life balance uh should improve you know you hope everybody's kind of seen and had it proved to them that you know they can or they can't uh, do their jobs from home um Mm. and that's great um you know it's for, for a lot of people that's worked out really well but but what, that's gonna that in itself is gonna lead to sort of discussion on on how you know cities are, are gonna change um, the yeah. shape of cities gonna change the the infrastructure is gonna change if mm-hmm. if more people are, you know if if commuting patterns are changing then we have, we have a uh, my company has an office in Farringdon in London um, mm-hmm. and it, it's re- during the week it's a really vibrant part of London obviously um, but at the weekends if you're there. You know, most of the shops and the cafes and the pubs and things don't even bother opening because they just depend on office workers. Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, it's just, it's a permanent ghost town at the moment. I've heard so, a lot of people yeah. wanting to move to countryside and villages and things from those type of places. or so people are moving out of cities and, like, their, their apartments and things in cities uh, because mm-hmm. they found, like, during the lockdown, like, the community spirit is what was there is is gone because there's nowhere to go and meet people or anything like that and there's just like you say like it's a ghost town there's nothing going on i think a lot of um people have got to be willing to change and very open to change their practice as well where they need to i mean this right from like i think we've got the type of governments as well that are just really keen to things to go back to how things were 
and, it, and it's not the case that we're going to be able to. So, like, you know, Europe put forward, I think, I think it's a, a trillion aid package for COVID, but, like, they've also voted $750 billion for, like, this green um, deal. Like, I know mm-hmm. Joe Biden's um, campaign is pretty much standing by the green, like, campaign, and, and it would be, be really lovely if a lot of governments could use this as a point of, like, saying, well, look, we couldn't keep having air travel as, as it was. We can't have it as it was after lockdown. You know, we can't just keep bailing out funding these companies. We need to change our practices, and that involves people making sacrifices if we're going to, you know, do what your um, Microsoft and Apple are proposing of, of cutting carbon emissions. And it's so obvious as well that things like having really, really horrendous conditions in factory farms and, like, you know, wet markets or, you know, these horrible shit shows of, like, dead animals on big, massive trawler lines, trawler fishing and all that kind of nasty ways of just basically raping the environment for the human mm-hmm. game. We've got to come to a bit more of a consensus about being actually not acting like parasites and actually sustaining our environment, living in a sustainable balance with yeah. it. Um, I was reading last week, I think it was, that because of the reduction in pollution and emissions um, in Europe alone, um, they were estimating uh, 10,000 fewer deaths this year due to pollution because of, you know, the reduced industry and, and, and emissions and stuff. So, so like China had um, suspended um, kind of like aspects of the wildlife trade. I don't think they've done the whole thing, but... Um, Vietnam um, have actually completely suspended the, the wildlife trade within Vietnam. Um, so hopefully kind of countries are going to realise that this is not a good thing and that um, the rest of the world is watching them quite closely. So, yeah, we'll it's, see. It's whether we've got the, the legislation and the will and the, and the common effort to do things like making sure that we're keeping aspects of jungle and rainforest mm-hmm. and there's... I just think like Ebola and there's all, all manner of stuff in the jungle. It's like, you know, it, it, if, if you consider the world like a human being and, and you were attacking the lungs, eventually the lungs will, will kind of say like, fuck off, doing this, we're, not, we're going to cough and we're going to keep getting it out. Um, it, I just hope that we can protect the planet's lungs really and keep planting extra aspects of trees and we can have that green revival that, that we're going to need. And we've got the right people in charge. I think there's definitely huge potential. Well, I mean, we can see it now, really, of an escalation in that kind of nationalism and protectionism that, that we'd kind of been seeing with, like, Brexit and things anyway. But, yeah, countries becoming quite insular and isolating themselves from the rest of the world. And I think, unfortunately, that is something that's probably going to continue at least for a few years. And that there's been the sort of trend away from globalization and that yeah. we'll, we'll sort of continue that, that nationalistic the thing um which isn't very good um and yeah like you say the blame game towards china uh yeah i think sort of worldwide there is a lot of uh, a lot of that going on against to tourism too is, is like, especially developing countries it's going to be a hell of a difficult thing so i think all these mm-hmm. like national like uh, populist ways have got what they wanted faster than they could possibly imagine in terms of like their borders being closed um or like you know massively reduced the amount of people coming through them and, yeah, I, I just hope that we can have the, the right kind of industry where people are going and spending money and, and experiencing the world, traveling, enlarging their minds, understanding different cultures and how they do things and, you know, that, that it's not just all going to be closed doors. Um, a bit more of a, a sort of trite observation, um, but, but something that I've noticed is, um, you know, 
sl- sort of slob life or hoodie life. Um, you know, the last mm-hmm. kind of four or five months, I've been wearing uh, hoodies and kind of yeah, my kind of like slumming it clothes and things. I wonder if if fashion is uh, is going to change uh, on the other side of this. <laughs> well, it was always going that way a little bit, wasn't it? When you think yeah. about so- how how it used to be. I mean, even sort of like from like the twenties of everybody wearing sort of smart suits and, and hats and things through to sort of like the forties and then, you know, again, still smart suits and you go to the sixties and it's kind of like skinny kind of drain pipe trousers and stuff. And, um, yeah. yeah, it's been going slobby for a while, hasn't it? But, um, I think, um, it's, uh, it is really, uh, it's quite liberating as well to just be able to throw on what you want and not really think about it too much. But, um, mm. I did see a really funny thing the other day. It was, um, it was kind of an art project that somebody had done with, um, you know, Barbie dolls. Um, and it was, which Barbie doll are you? And there was like kind of various different ones, but the one that I most identified with was the, um, the, the lockdown Barbie with, um, had um, daytime pajamas and then evening pajamas. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's about right, really. It's like changing again in the evening at the end of, end of the work day, putting more comfortable, even more slobby ones on than what I've had on for work. I guess um, it's something that you two uh, are aware of is kind of like teaching and learning and how how that could change in the future. There's going to be some potential, well, there's potential for big changes there. I know, I know that the government want kids back in schools, but online learning you know how how's that working out is it something that that could be good for the future it could be but there's got to be that buy-in because i i found about um about half the kids didn't really engage with it or it was quite intermittent that they did some of them absolute ducks to water they, they absolutely loved it and i think they preferred it some of them it's quite mm. a small percentage of that but like you know that it makes it I, I obviously i miss the classroom interactions and having a laugh and, and that kind of stuff but some of them really, we lost them. Like, you know, it, it was, I don't think it, there was anything more we really could have done. It's just that they're probably in a situation you can hear the seven or eight other siblings in the background and in the, in the home. And it's not a great learning environment and some lessons, they won't even show up. And I don't know. It's like, we, we, we have some quite needy kids, um, a lot of, lot of difficulties, but I think that that percentage of 33 to 50% of people disengaging with it, Probably some of the anxiety because the global pandemic's going on that they're kind of, you know, they're having. All, I think there's a there's a like a mental health like um, sort of crisis looming um, with you know with certain kids that like the the trigger warning like generation if you like that really don't don't deal particularly well with critical thinking if, if it's not on their terms. If, if, mm-hmm. I'm sorry if that sounds really harsh, but like sometimes you've got to like take people through the controversy by like. And it's, it's that group interaction that was missing that like they could be in a group with some other people that wouldn't be like totally losing, um, losing their ability to sort of think, uh, about things in quite a logical way because someone else in the group can think about it in a different way. And mm-hmm. when everyone's individual and, and isolated, uh, wow, it's really difficult for them to, to kind of, you know, think together. And yeah, yeah I think that's could be a really boom area for like looking at. Um, you know, ways of, of kids could have like the equivalent of chat rooms, like um, sort of officiated chat rooms, if you like, um, that they could kind of you know discuss their ideas and, and do it in in a good way. But yeah, massive amounts of disengagement and really frustrating to have to. I spent more of my time nagging than I did teach. One of the things that's come up 
um, sort of where I work at the university is that um, this has kind of marginalised people um, that might not have a great income or might not be from sort of backgrounds where they can afford um, like a laptop or an iPad or even like the internet because um, at the university, like mm. obviously we've got a lot of facilities for people to use. So there's, there's computers available. They can hire laptops if they want to. There's iPads available that can hire in some cases. And um, they've not had access to, to that those sort of facilities. So some of them have, have been kind of cut off through no mm. fault of their own because they can't actually access the, the online content, the lessons and things that are online or like the library resources and things, or they might only have like intermittent internet access, you know, especially if they've um, gone back to like home countries or something. I think it's going to involve a, a kind of safe and inclusive virtual like learning environment that people can access, um, not to put, Jeremy Corbyn on a pedestal where he was the one advocating free internet for like young people. But, oh. you know, that would have been quite useful if that had been in place. I kind of feel like it should be free or a lot cheaper for everyone, really. Yeah. It's been an interesting test of relationships, um, this whole lockdown and, and being cut off from friends and family and things. And Yeah. Uh, it, uh, yeah, I, I kind of... It, it's been interesting to me personally to see, you know... Th- there's some people that I thought I was very close to and that, you know, that you would during this time that you would have kept much better in touch with, um, than has actually turned out to be the case. Um, you yeah. know, obviously, and, and then other people, you know, other people who've got in touch, um, just out of the blue who you haven't spoken to for a while. And then you've, you know, there's a sort of weird kind of balancing act. Obviously, you know, we, we talk to each other quite a lot, but there's other people who have just not heard from at all. And, you always have those friends who are kind of drinking buddies, pub friends, and you sort of expect them to, to disappear. But there's others who uh, have been surprised by it. Have you had a similar experience? Yeah, definitely. I know I have. Yeah, pretty much. It's, um, mm-hmm. I've had a few sort of people get in touch, like, really out of the blue as well, because I think it's um, people sort of had more time to think, haven't they? Yeah. And I guess mm-hmm. people have spent time on social media as well and i'm not sure what's going on with social media but i feel like some of the algorithms have kind of changed a little bit on my facebook and i'm sort of getting people popping up that um i've not had any contact with for, for years i mean i'm talking people that i like went to school with and stuff like that um mm. and so i've had for them kind of getting in touch because i'm clearly showing in their news feeds for whatever reason as well and uh, so that's it's been nice though actually it's been it's been quite nice i've had some nice conversations um with people um, but yeah, I've, I've had other people that I've felt really awful that I haven't been able to be more there for. So I'm finding it quite strange because we'd normally be at a festival like this coming weekend as well. So um, yeah. I'm sort of, I feel odd because I'm not going to see all my kind of festival buddies that I'd normally normally see. Um, but a few of them have got in touch and people have confided things in me that I would have never expected them to confide in me. You know that that have just sort of come out of the blue and. I was like, wow, okay. <laughs> so um, mm. I don't know, maybe maybe it's brought people a bit closer in a way. Um, it's good to check in with your friends, obviously. You know, if you're not hearing from them, to check in and make sure that they're all right um, and then mm. kind of see what sort of response you get. It's nice to contact people not for any particular reason, just to check in with them. I think, like, a lot of social media places have got quite toxic quite quickly. Mm. And, like, I, I don't know, I've, for instance, over the last few days, I've been off work. Um, which has helped, but I've been able to have a much more thorough um, talk to people, like on online. Like you know, a lot of people mm. wish just birthday on Facebook, and I've just made a point of like sending them all a personal reply, and then having mm. discourse far better than like happy birthday, mate, 
have a bit like liking it and just saying a group thank you. It's like saying, how are you mm-hmm. doing, doing? I've had so many, like, almost like most of my social interactions online over the last couple of days have just been actually catching up with people and finding out how they've been doing over the last few months and stuff. And just, you know, it needn't be more than a few sentences in a paragraph or like picture of some cat sleeping on your leg or something like that. Like, <laughs> but it makes a world of difference just to, I'm not saying all social media interactions have to be positive. You should still shed light over the vast and many number of injustices in, in the world and in different areas that people might not know about. But some of the feeds just got so toxic with like people ripping into each other. And, like it's yeah. just nice that just general daily positive, happy kind of um, and curious about other people sort of vibe going. And I'm, I'm keen to kind of keep riding with that. Well, should we play a song then? Yes, we definitely should. Uh, yeah, you got you pick one. Okay, well, yeah, I've, I've got my hands. Paper Rifles, new album. Paper Rifles, I, I've only seen him as this guy, John, who plays acoustic guitar. Uh, and uh, he's a Scottish guy. He's, he's a history teacher, actually. We, we spent some time next to each other on a merch stall a few years back. And uh, you know, I was just getting into him teaching English. Um, and yeah, he, he's, he's got like a full band behind his songs. And they've released this new album, Traitor's Hill. Uh, and yeah, I want to play a track from that um, called Judas. And uh, yeah, I, what the, my main observation from listening to this album uh, is that he sounds a lot like, they sound a lot like Bon Jovi. So like this is the Scottish Bon Jovi paper rifles with their new track, Judas. Hit it, Blake. Let's 
nice one. Do you think they'll be happy with the Bon Jovi comparison? Who knows? <laughs> Good. The purpose of this new system is to create a single global... Super beast. Uh, so I've been watching, uh, basically piled through um, a TV show on Netflix called Dark. Don't know if you've seen it. No. Nope. Nope. <laughs> okay. It's a it's German German uh, TV show. Uh, there's three series. There's like eight or ten episodes per series. It's about time travel um, and kind of the effects of hopping around in time on this sort of small town in Germany. It's it's pretty smartly written um, I, because it's about time travel. There's obviously massive uh, plot holes that you could uh, uh, bury uh, many bodies in. Um, mm. But it's, uh, it, yeah, it does a really interesting thing of uh, looking at people's lives in their entirety from their sort of uh, young ages to, to older and um, kind of revels in, in like time travel stuff, uh, like the grandfather paradox, the idea that if you killed your granddad, uh, before you were born, you know, could you be born to go back and kill your granddad and endless loops, like somebody being their own father or their own, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. Um, the acting's really good. John, uh, the old John John Connor paradox in Terminator. He sends Reese back in time in order to be his dad, but he must do so. Yeah, no. yeah exactly. Exactly that. Yeah. It, so this this show kind of loves that stuff and really kind of leans into it, which is, which is quite enjoyable to watch. Um, as I say, the acting is just like, is top notch and the the casting is also brilliant so the young actors uh, look like the older actors like they actually you know some of this some of that casting is just like perfect the first series one series two so i decided i wanted to review this after getting to the end of the second series because i was just like this is this show is really good it's going somewhere really interesting um and i was just kind of really wrapped up in it in the third series it kind of squanders quite a lot of that goodwill um it gets sort of overly complicated a lot less focused and sort of irritatingly repetitive like characters just saying the same things and doing the same stuff over and over again so uh, i would definitely recommend it if you're interested in that kind of thing um but it was yeah the ending was a bit of a disappointment anyway that was uh, dark on netflix um i do like a good time travel narrative but yeah like you know it doesn't matter there's, there's so many like great ideas presented along the journey that that you know you'll take something away from it um and it's been really enjoyable uh, to watch and because it's only sort of uh, eight or nine episodes a series you can kind of smash through nine episodes yeah. over three nights um so yeah and, and it is quite dark in places as well um which is nice and <laughs> um, so there you it's go a neat thing as well of like things that got really bad endings i could almost binge watch stuff that had a really shit ending but had a really good like exposition um mm. just because, like you you've got to mentally prepare yourself that it's that the ending is going to disappoint you and uh, i think that could be a thing <laughs> like watching stuff yeah. you know completely shite at the end <laughs> Yeah, I, I might regret admitting this, but I'm I'm a massive fan of Lost, um, and a lot of people didn't. Yeah, I think that's a good example of that, isn't it? Where they just ran out of uh, storyline. <laughs> Me and Charlotte put these like silver screen classics on uh, on BBC iPlayer, and we watched one of these. It's got an incredible title, um, but mm. they, they changed the lead actress after the first act. It yeah. was mental. We were reeling from this. It's like you know you wouldn't see that in a modern film. But it's like, mm. I'm a, that's a different woman. Yeah. <laughs> she underwent this sort of slightly weird thing yeah. where she saw like this apparition 
and then she changed from being a brunette to this blonde or no, like, blonde, to blonde to a brunette and, and it's like but that's a different person <laughs> yes, it's quite a lot strange. to take on called I Walked with a Zombie. It was quite good. <laughs> well, I thought it was Revenge of the Cat People. Oh, yeah, there's, yeah, it was Revenge of the Cat People. We didn't it? watch the end of that zombie. Yeah. Movie, sort of sounds a little bit like the, the plot to Vertigo, actually, the Hitchcock film, but yeah, uh, interesting. It, it wasn't bad, the plot. It was just like, <laughs> just <laughs> get with it, deal with it. We've lost Jodie Foster. Make do with Gillian Anderson, okay. you know? <laughs> uh, well, cool. Um, <laughs> Yeah, well, I I actually liked the ending of Lost, but um, but yeah, it was definitely worth the ride it's for all the crazy ideas that presented that I still think about to this day. So yeah, I, I I wouldn't take it back. And if you're interested, I would recommend Dark. Maybe just stop after the second series and and leave it there. Or or curiously go into the third, waiting how you'll be disappointed. Mm, and maybe you won't be. You know, it might just be a personal yeah. thing. It it does. It basically, there's a there's a what's, what's the, there's a twist at the end of the of the second series that takes you into the third, um, and maybe you'll love it. But for me, it, it kind of sucked a lot of the energy out of the out of the program. But, yeah, anyway, well, there you go. Created that for our listeners, then uh, it won't mm. be a shock. So, like, maybe you've done the right thing. Did you want to uh, review anything for us? Have you got any? Have you read anything interesting or seen anything good? Either of you? Um, I'm yeah, I, I'm reading um, a pretty random book at the moment actually um it's called um stopover tokyo and it's one that i got in like a proper like junk bookshop and um, i think these were like three uh, no five books for a quid that was it and um yeah it's so uh, it's proper sort of old school like spy thriller and i'm quite enjoying it actually but um it's really corny um and i think it's by like somebody called john p mark Markand, Markand, I've probably said it wrong, um, but um, yeah, I'm quite enjoying that. It's uh, it was published in 1958, and it's uh, it's quite kitsch to be honest. Mm. But um, I love the book because it's come with like all these like leaflets that were were sent out with the book at the time. So it's like claim your free perfume and this thing, and there's all these amazing like sort of um, technical or advertisements that come in in with the book. <laughs> but um, that's oh, quite lovely. Yeah. It's um, yeah, it follows like a story of like two spies that um that kind of like after after a guy called Big Ben and um yeah, it's really interesting. But it's 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 quite um I don't know, it's a bit formulaic, but um yeah, I'm quite enjoying it. Like as a as a sort of sixties style spy thriller, it's quite fun. <laughs> and is it hugely un PC uh by today's standards or not? Um I was a bit worried about that because I thought, oh I'm gonna enjoy this, but it, it's been on my bookshelf for ages and I thought, right, you know, like this is like the perfect time to actually kind of pick it up and have a look at it. Because I got it just because I liked I liked the stuff that sort of came with it, if you know what I mean. I thought, oh great. Mm. Like, you know, they're, they're quite interesting artifacts that come with it. Um but yeah. yeah, it's not, it's actually quite sensitively done. It's quite interesting. I mean I'm finding bits of it like a little bit sexist, but at the same time, um, it, it's quite sensitively done with the way that they sort of talk about like the, the different nationalities in there and things like that. And it talks about a lot of the problems that were caused by America um, at the end of the war and um, like how Jap- um, how like Japanese people and Japan itself kind of adjusted to that. And uh, yeah, it's, um, it is it is interesting. And it's it, I, I guess for the time, it was probably quite, quite sensitively done really because i mean they could have really gone out of the way with all the on pc type of stuff but it's, it's not really like that at all it's quite mm. it's refreshing 
All right, so can I, I just do a little bit about the zines and things I've been reading? First of all, I was really glad, like at the back in the last month, that I finished reading uh, Down and Out in Paris and London by George Orwell, because that means I've now read all of his novels, all of his short stories, all of his essays, even letters and journalism and stuff he's done. So I got all of the George Orwell questions right at University Challenge, and like that, that's good because I barely get a question right all episodes. So. University Challenge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Charlotte is uh, secretly an academic. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, the Cunningham Amendment sent me a zine, so I, I've got through their previous zine, which is like philosophical uh, anarchist stuff. The main thrust of, of what it's saying is like picking on hierarchies and like not forcing people to change, but just convincing them to do it by like the fact, the merit that you make, merit of the fact, I should say, that you kind of making it irresistible to kind of be a better person. So uh, yeah, big up um, Peter Good and uh, the limited circulation of the Cunningham Amendment. Uh, check that out. If you search online where to email your money to, you can start to get that through your post too. Um, yeah, a few fanzines I've been picking up. Rum Lad uh, uh, is a Steve Larder, a, a fantastic illustrator and a really good writer. He's been, I've been reading some of his short stories as well in um, the, um, the compilation of short stories I mentioned last episode. But his, his artwork is incredible. And I, I read this uh, fanzine he wrote about his grandparents and all about their lives. Uh, that's, that's really well written um, and thoughtful. Holly Cassio, <clears throat> she writes and illustrates a zine called Cool Schmool, uh, and she is a fantastic uh, inspiration. Really, she's like she's a librarian, and a lot of them are about her struggles of being a librarian and, and uh, like having quite sort of well, that's a contracting industry, being bullied around, but setting up to be her own union rep within the within the. She writes very eloquently about Bruce Springsteen for a, um, a, a, a queer. A, sorry, I, I feel awful using the language that they use because I don't think people are queer. Like, I read a lot of non-heteronormative zines because I find their perspectives more clean and interesting than kind of a lot of the sort of... And they write a lot more. Yeah, getting Holly zines. I read some of her stuff and, and looked at it a few years ago and, and, and it's excellent, but she's um writes a really interesting stuff. Some of the best things about her work, <clears throat> even when it's quite personal, and like there's a lot of her getting picked on because of her weight, because she's, um, I think, over the average weight, that mm. she gets in some brilliant digs and truisms amongst her work. Like that one of the best ones was like, she had to do these zine conferences and felt like a bit of a fraud being called an artist. Mm. And was getting sick of people talking about how they're improving their practice all the time. And they're trying new like techniques and structural techniques and stuff. And she's like, I don't feel like an artist. I'm a zine maker. But she finishes it with this lovely thing of like, if I'm some lectern being claimed to be an artist, but I'm not one, then it's just the same as all these white politicians. They're just blagging it as well. I can blag it. I'm a zinester. I'm a, an activist. And Kulschmuel is absolutely fantastic. And if you want to read about why a lesbian fancies Bruce Springsteen, she's written four and she's got another one about that. I mean, and this is fake DIY by Holly Cassio is absolute excellent uh, read about how certain libraries are getting trying to get in on the zine scene in order to improve their sort of cool and uh, yeah basically like take the money and run uh, if you can from those things because no one gets paid very much as a zine so we just like sharing information um, one other thing that I've been reading and I've really enjoyed getting through all this is a graphic novel um called Dreams of a Low-Carbon Future. Um, some bots in Leeds University yeah. and other people, they've talked to about 350 school children and gone through climate change with them. And what you come out with at the end is this absolutely 
fantastic 100-page graphic novel. Um, hmm. Really, really interesting, thought-provoking. I didn't know you were going to pick that one. Um, that was actually uh, done by part of the team that I used to work for, actually, um, as um, part of their educational outreach um, project that they did. So they went around various schools talking about this kind of low-carbon thing. They got ideas from the kids, and then that's what's gone into sort of helping to form this this magazine. But it was, it was done um, as part of an outreach thing, and then they actually gave these away at Kirkstall Festival. Mm. Um, and that's, uh, well, that, not just that. I found it in a charity shop. Ones, but, but yeah, they were, they were made to be given away um, with, within like, Lee's community as a way of engaging people with the university, but also with the ideas. Well, they're great. Some of this is going to get photocopied, and I'm going to do lessons based on this near start term because it's, it's fantastic. Um, but can I just read a tiny little bit <clears throat> uh, from you? It's just a short paragraph. Hmm. These are, these are um, uh, your opinions on the future. This is right near the end. It said... If, as a parent, you rewarded your child for greedy, demanding behaviour, would you expect them to grow up to be good-natured? No. Why then do we have an economic system that does exactly this? Root of the problem, really, like people smashing out the, the multi-making money and the environment comes last, and that has got to change. But, yeah, dreams of a low-carbon future, awesome. Totally recommend it. And that's right, the type of I have been reading, mostly on the toilet. <laughs> that's what you do really like that, that's it sneak your books oh. into the toilet plastic cover if you're hygienic like oh Charlotte. god no I don't read it with a of grace it's a thing I think not to be sexy are you um, are you still reading a different book in, in each toilet yeah yeah I have, I have certain zines and books uh, so I'm, I'm going to put the Adam Byfield uh, upstairs I'm, I'm getting back into the gangster shit that makes us sound posh putting a different book in each toilet there's only a toilet upstairs and a toilet downstairs it's not it's not like yeah. <laughs> yeah but honestly get your enlightenment on the loo that's the place for it and if you ever run out of bog paper oh adverts that's a travel tip <laughs> fucking Ron wiping his ass on uh, my like new scientist magazine when we shared I was right way through looking at like uh, renewable technologies in the future and he fucking wiped his ass on the rest of the article <laughs> bastard <laughs> and it's not even water soluble oh <laughs> <laughs> dear god oh nice I'm not know Oh, I'm saying boys and girls. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll look into it. Maybe in my new house, I'll have a little, uh, a little uh, bookshelf or something. We'll, what, we'll see. Dealable one, you know, so none of the micro particles. That's the nature of the unhygienic thing, and I'm aware that, that is really bad. Maybe you could have like cupboards on the top of them so they don't get the splash back. A laminated one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the micro particles that we're on about ventilating out oh. the atmosphere, like. There was a great statistic on the, the pub quiz from the parish, uh, if I can remember it. But uh, he said, like, for all you people who've got a toothbrush in the bathroom, what is the radius of the, if you don't close your toilet lid, but, like, where the microparticles of, like, uh, shit and piss and, and water there, what's the radius of you United Blake? I do no idea. How long? Eight feet. No. It's eight feet. No, it's nine metres. Nine meters. No, it's not nine metres. Well, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. I've looked at the internet. The splashback is nine meters. So if you like your toothbrush not covered in two parts, in <laughs> you ought to yeah close it in a cupboard or like close it off, shut the lid. Lid. Well, I'm 
finally starting to understand your obsession with ventilation. Okay, fine. Yeah. <laughs> we all need to get with this plate. We all need to be more anal, just like me. <laughs> On that note, um, thank you to everybody that's uh, that's stuck with us uh, through this uh, difficult conversation. Um, if you want if you want to get into it and we encourage it um you can find us on facebook twitter instagram um uh, at Pod. um subscribe on spotify and apple podcasts and uh, google whatever it's called at superbeast pod is the one yes um our next episode will be a year of, of doing these so um we, we might try and do something a bit special if we can um, but we'd still love to hear from you so please uh, do Send us uh, some thoughts, jokes, whatever you want. Um, if you've got more information on uh, the radius of uh, Splashback, uh, that'll be that'll be fascinating. Um, any any conclusions from from you guys before we uh, sign off? I don't know. I'm a bit speechless. So don't time. come out of the episode as a turd. Like be a better person. Come on, fuck up your ideas. Stop being such a filthy bastard. Become <laughs> become a nicer, better person. It might not be in the big things, all the, all the massive big things that you can't affect and get frustrated about because they're fucking annoying. But in all the little things, all the little micromanagement, all the little decisions you can make, be a good person. Be the change you want to see. Oh, come on. <laughs> let's, uh, let's say goodbye. Um, I, I, I'm going to play uh, one last song. Um, th- so this is, I think it's from the 90s, actually. Uh, it's called Escape is at Hand for the Travelling Man uh, by a band called The Tragically Hip which I'd never heard of until recently, but it's uh, this song has been kind of like the soundtrack to a lot of my uh, lockdown walks. Um, it's got like a, it's sort of about the, the joy and the kind of relationships that you can kind of strike up at when you're watching live music, so like friendships or whatever they might be. Uh, and it's got this kind of cool idea at the, at the centre of the song that the, the titles of the songs that the bands they're watching are playing are kind of telling the story of what's happening with this friendship that's being struck up, which is like a really cool idea for a song. It's maybe not executed as well as I would like. Um, so, you know, hint, hint, maybe you could write a better version, Berg. And probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon so. So, yeah, Escape is at Hand for the Travelling Man by the Tragically Hip. And, yeah, we'll I'll, we'll see everyone next time, next month. Um, great to have you on again, uh, Charlotte, and, uh, and yeah, speak to you, Berg. Uh, bye, everyone. Bye. Ta-da. See you later.